Good morning. All right, so we're continuing our series called Aliens and Strangers in the book of 1 Peter. And as I've done the last couple of weeks, I'd like to start off with a question that you have to wrestle with at your tables first. So this morning's question is this next slide. Let's go to that slide. You have a friend who's doubting the Christian faith mainly because of the issue of suffering. This person does not question God's existence, but they do question his goodness. How would you handle a conversation about this with them? Go ahead and discuss that for a few minutes at your tables. All right, so the point of me asking these questions at the beginning of these talks, I know um, you still have like turkey and gravy flowing through your veins and you're exhausted and you're tired from all the lack of sleep you had over the last week or so. Um, But um, the point of asking these questions at the beginning is to get you thinking about and to give you kind of a case study on a situation that um, you may have encountered already, you may encounter in the future. And uh, so my goal is to make your head hurt, like at the very beginning here, so we can kind of unpack the scriptures and look at how this, these scriptures tie into the question you've just had presented before you. So what I'm, what I'm putting before you this morning, this is not just a fictional deal. I actually met with a student about two weeks ago who um, just graduated from here, and this is his very question. This is the exact question that he's asking right now. And uh, so as a result, he would not call himself a believer at the moment. And he is hung up on this one question of, I believe God, I do believe God exists, but I just, I can't, I'm wrestling with his goodness. Like, how can he be good and allow what he allows to happen in our world? So here's what I told him, all right? I told him three things, essentially, and here they are. Um, I, I didn't, like, pull out a PowerPoint and say, hey, look at this. But I did give him like, these three big ideas, and here they are. Um, here's three truths concerning suffering. The first thing I told him, I said, I said, suffering is addressed all over the Bible, so God knows we struggle with it. Whenever someone, suffering is a very common question for many people, including Christians. But what I don't understand is if you open up the scriptures, there are so many places in the Bible that deal with this topic. So it's not as if God leaves it unaddressed. God addresses it all over the scriptures. The entire book of Job is about this big question about suffering. In 1 Peter, the the entire book is about um, this topic of suffering. James talks about suffering. So God addresses it in his scriptures. It's not as if he's silent on the matter. The second thing I told him is I said, listen, for those who reject their faith because of suffering... They still have to find an explanation for suffering and a solution for suffering. I'm including suffering and evil kind of in the same context here. Usually they do neither, and Christianity does both. So I also said to him, look, just because you're having difficulty with this God that we say we worship, whether it's his, it's his, it's his existence or whether it's his goodness, you still have to explain suffering. You still have to find a solution for suffering. And if you say there's no God, or if you say God can't be good, well then, okay, what's the explanation for suffering, and what is the solution for it? There is no explanation, and there is no solution for it. And so what I said to him was, I think Christianity and the gospel has the greatest power 
to explain why suffering exists, but also the solution to suffering, the final solution to suffering. The third thing I told him was this. The Bible not only tells us why we suffer, but also how we should respond to it. So does it tell us why we suffer in every little situation? Because most of the questions that we have about suffering um, are not as much the real big questions, like, you know, why is there suffering in the world, or why is there um, evil and suffering just out there? Most of us, it gets personal. Most of us struggle whenever it, it hits our life. And this is what causes us to question. But here's the good news. The Bible actually shows us in various places how we should respond to um, suffering of all kinds. So specifically, though, First Peter is about a certain kind of suffering. And it is specifically addressing the kind of suffering that you and I encounter whenever we suffer for our faith. And so turn to First Peter chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 13. First Peter chapter 3, verse uh, 13. And we're going to skip around a little bit today. We're going to, um, we have a lot to cover, so we're going to try to move quickly through this. So First Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. We'll read all that together. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So we'll go back to verse 13 where he says, now who's there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? What he's saying, if, if you live a good, honorable life and you're a good Texas citizen, like don't mess with Texas and you keep all the laws around here, then most of the time people are just going to leave you alone. If you live a good, honorable life and you're a good citizen, most people will just leave you alone. Now some of you, like me, you have a guilty conscience. So how many of you all have your driver's license? Raise your hand. So maybe like a third of you. So do you ever just get nervous when you see a cop? No? Like you're following all the laws and you're doing everything right and yet you just see a cop and you instantly break out into a cold sweat. Like that, raise your hand if this is you. This is me. I could be following everything like I'm, my hands are 10 and 2, you know, like I'm doing everything just right, not on the cell phone, that's against the law now, and, um, and the minute I see a cop, I'm just like, okay, what could he interpret as being wrong in this situation? Are my headlights on? It's daytime, who cares? Headlights are on, right? And so we, we struggle with this guilty conscience when it comes to like, you know, are we following the law? And so what, what Peter is saying is if you are, for the most part, a good citizen, you, you have nothing to worry about. For, for the most part, people are going to leave you alone if you're following the laws and you're a good citizen. But then in verse 14, but he says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. So even if you are living a good, honorable life, and even if you should suffer because of this, um, he says you'll be blessed. 
And you might ask the question, well, how, how, are, how is blessing, how is there blessing in suffering? That doesn't make any sense. How is there blessing in suffering? And here's what he's trying to point, I think, in the entire book. He's trying to point this idea that you are eternally secure in Jesus. If you're a believer, you have your salvation and your identity in Jesus, you are eternally secure. There's nothing that can take that away from you. So ultimately, even if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you're going to be eternally secure because you're in Christ. I heard, um, I don't know what we officially call the more recent wars. Like, we know World War II, World War I, all that, Vietnam War, but um, I guess we refer to the, the first, either the Gulf War or the, the Iraq War, however we refer to it, in the early 90s, back before you guys were even an idea. Um, so the early, early 90s was when the first Gulf War took place. I think I was in 7th or 8th grade. And it was really strange for the first time in my life at that point where our country was going to war. It just felt like it just felt strange. It just felt like everything just seemed heightened at that point in our history, in my little short history as a, as a human being. And, and I, I can recall after the war, the war was fairly short for the most part, and um, there was this veteran that came back to our school and spoke to us, and it was a, a private school. He could share his thoughts about Christ in this environment. And uh, he stood in front of us at a chapel service, and he said, and it was just really cool hearing from someone who saw this firsthand, and he said, um, I went over to Iraq, and I was obviously fearful at first, and just fearful of the enemy, fearful of death, all the obvious things you think about when you think about war. But he said what brought him great comfort in this war situation was that he began to realize the worst thing that could happen to him was that he dies and he goes to be with Jesus. And when, when death, yeah, death sounds like a bad option, and it sounds like a worst-case scenario, but when you, when you realize that even if you're doing everything right, and even if you're, are, you're killed for it, that if you're in Christ, you still get to be with the creator of the universe. That's not a bad worst-case scenario. And he told us that his fear, of course he had human fears, but he said his fears began to dissipate as he realized the hope that he had in Jesus. And this is the same hope that you and I have um, in this relationship with Jesus Christ. We have nothing to fear ultimately if we have Christ. And then look at verse uh, 15. He says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as, all, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And I want you to look at what, um, there's a big idea in this, in, this, in this verse 15 I want you to see. Because it says, be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Most of the time we think of sharing our faith as I'm going to go and present the gospel to someone. I'm going to go pursue someone and present the gospel to them. And there is a time and place for that. But in this verse, it seems like the tables are turned where this unbeliever live in such a way that unbelievers 
are curious about your life. And they're asking you questions like, tell me, the way you live your life just seems different, and I, I can't make sense of it, and I need you to explain to me why you're living the way that you're living. And so you're, by the way you live, you're, you're, you're forcing it on them, and they're asking you, because they're curious about why you're living the way in which you're living. So live in such a way that unbelievers are curious about your life. This will imply a couple things. The first thing it implies is that you have, to be able, you have to live in such a way that you allow unbelievers to see into your life. If you live in this Christian bubble only, and unbelievers are never around you, well, then they can't see into your life and then be curious about why you live in the way in which you live. So we need to share Jesus, of course, and share the gospel. And at times that means you pursue them, but also live in such a way that they pursue you and want to know more about this God that you say you serve. In verse 15, we see this really important concept. It says, make a defense, but do so with gentleness. Now, this word defense in the Greek is um, apologia, which is where we get the word apologetics. You may have heard that word before. Um, Apologetics, the um, theology or the study of defending the faith. And there, there has um, been a lot of attack in the last couple of decades about should Christians even um, delve into apologetics because it seems like um, most of us are so defensive that maybe we should just back off the idea of defending our faith. And I would say that's an extreme mistake because the Bible says we're supposed to have a defense, but to do so with gentleness. So um, here's the two mistakes we can make when it comes to this defense. A defense, but no gentleness. Go to my next slide. Defense, but no gentleness. And I know that in your mind you're like, oh, yeah, I know someone like that. Or I know someone who did that. Or, it might even be you, I don't know. But if you're, if you're wondering, you can ask someone about that. Um, but, but making a defense, but there's no gentleness whatsoever as they defend their faith. Some people are more concerned about winning an argument than they are about winning the person. And your goal in any um, defense of your faith should be to win the person, not just to win the argument. And instead of um, reasoning with people, they just make threats. I saw this documentary a while back. I'm kind of a documentary nerd. Um, I blame it on my wife, honestly, but, um, but we like documentaries and we're watching this, um, documentary. I think it was, it was put on, it was put put together by an unbeliever making fun of the Christian faith. And, you know, documentaries like that, they always find like the most, um, intellectually astute Christians to interview. You know what I'm talking about? And to make us look extra, extra dumb. And, uh, and so they go and interview this guy just on the street, and they're kind of mocking and scoffing at Christians even as they interview him. And this guy is, um, as they might say in Texas, a, a complete redneck. Like this guy's a complete, he's wearing, okay, if you're wearing camo, no offense, but the guy had camo on, and uh, he's a complete redneck. And, and so he says something like this to the guy who's mocking his faith. He says, in his whatever accent he had, probably 
Mississippi, I don't know. Um, but he says, if you're going to mess with my God, you're going to have to mess with me. And that was his, like, defense as he talked to this guy who's asking him questions about the Christian faith. And I'm like, that's, that's all you got? Like, that's, that's it. But there are many people that are like this. It's like they just kind of bow up and they think to defend the faith means that it's like defending their wife or their dog or something. It's like this, I'm going to beat you up if you... And it's just, it just doesn't make any sense. So Peter's talking about, okay, make a defense, but be a little less redneck about it, you know? Be gentle as you make your defense for your faith. So gentleness, this is humility. This is, I think, one of the biggest pitfalls for Christians, especially as we look at, I mean, social media. I mean, hello. One of the biggest pitfalls for us is what happens on social media because whenever you're behind a screen and behind a keyboard, you can say whatever you want, and it doesn't count in eternity, right? (laughs) That's how we think. And so Peter says, use gentleness as you make your defense. Then the second mistake we can make is gentleness but no defense. Gentleness but no defense. So some Christians think, if I'm just a nice person, then people are going to come to know Jesus. Well, there's a lot of really nice Buddhists, Muslims, Hindu people, atheists. There's a lot of nice people out there that aren't believers, it's people don't just connect the dots magically. Like if you're if you're nice to someone and you're a Christian, um, they don't just suddenly say to you, "Oh, um, so you you mean to tell me that Jesus Christ is God, and that He died on the cross for my sins, and He raised again on the third day, and if I put my faith and trust in Him, I can have eternal life?" Like a nice deed doesn't say all of that. So there has to be words. The gospel is always something to be said, not something just to be shown. And one of those mistakes people make is they say, they, you may have heard things like, um, well, I'd rather just live out the gospel than share it. The gospel always requires that we share it because the gospel is good news. You proclaim good news. You don't just live out good news. Living a good life is an effect of the gospel, but it's not the gospel. It's an effect of the gospel. And so you can't just expect other people to connect all the dots for you. So many of you are raised in a Christian home that are in here this morning. But at some point, you have to own your faith. So as we look at this book, First Peter, um, this is why we're, we, we try to press on you in everything that we do here to bring you to a place where you own your faith and you know why you believe what you believe. Because if you're going to give this defense or give reasons for your faith, do you even know why you believe this? And not just my parents said it was true, therefore I just blindly go along with it. If you feel in this high school Sunday morning setting and our Wednesday night setting, if you feel us pressing on you, trying to get you to think through ideas and to think through things at a deep level. It's because that's intentional. Because I would much rather have you be honest about your questions and doubts here than just push them under the rug and then you get to college and then you're just, you're just off. So we want you to own your faith when you um, are here. 
uh, with us um, in high school. So I need you guys to do your, uh, your first um, three questions there at your tables. Go ahead and discuss questions one to three. Okay, so I know some are still discussing, but um, we have a, we're going to have someone share a testimony in a moment. Um, in a few, I want to make sure we kind of get through the rest of this talk so we have time for that. Uh, so looking at the next section here, um, I'm going to give you a quick summary. 1 Peter chapter 3, here's a summary of this whole section here. Um, it can be summarized this way. Christ suffered by dying, but resurrected and triumphed over all demonic powers. So Peter's now trying to let us know, like, look, if you think you're the only one that's suffering, remember that Jesus suffered, and here's what his suffering looked like, and here's what the resurrection means for us. The resurrection gives us ultimate hope. So then skip down to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, where Peter says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So what does he mean by, if you've suffered, you have ceased from sin? He does not mean that, okay, if you've suffered for your faith, therefore the rest of your life you will never ever sin ever. It's not what this is referring to. It's not even realistic. But what he means by this is if, if Christian suffering indicates that you have chosen Christ over the world, so if you're someone that has suffered for your faith, then evidently you take your faith pretty seriously. And when you are a true Christian in that sense, the power of sin has been broken in your life. This is his main point here in this uh, first part of the text. Now I want to go back through here and just ex- give you four more reasons why we suffer, specifically for our faith. The first reason is this. Suffering accomplishes God's purposes. I bet you can think of and look back at times of suffering in your life and you can say, yes, I saw God's purpose in this particular situation. That's not always the case, but there are times where you can say that. The second thing, suffering exposes what or whom we are trusting. When you and I suffer, it feels like, because in reality, something is always being subtracted from our lives as we suffer, something we find great comfort in something we really, really enjoy. And as these things get stripped away, you begin to realize, I'm not just enjoying that, God's blessing, I am trusting in it. And so suffering exposes those kinds of things. Suffering provides a platform for faithful Christian witness. Just imagine when people look at your life from the outside and they see you suffer in some way, what, how that points them to Jesus. If they see you clinging to Christ, they begin to see Jesus as valuable in the same way that you do. And then fourthly, suffering is an indication that we're following Christ. If you're suffering for your faith, it's a good chance that you're actually following him. Look down at, the, um, at verse 3. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. If you look at the Bible and what the Bible says um, that people do apart from Christ, 
whenever you look at these lists in the Bible that are pretty explicit, it's interesting because um, we haven't thought up any new ways to sin, right? It's the same thing. No matter what millennium we're in, it is the exact same list. So this morning, instead of me just talking about this passage, um, I heard a really interesting testimony recently from someone, and uh, her name's Allison Waits. I want to have her join me on stage up here, and she graduated a couple of years ago. Give her a hand for joining us this morning. And Allison is a sophomore at University of the Incarnate Word in San Antonio, plays volleyball for them, and played volleyball at Belton High. Um, anybody here, were you on, like, her impact team at any point in the history of your time at impact? <laughs> yeah. So you have some fans out there, you know? So, yeah. Um, so I want to have her just share. Um, I'm going to kind of walk her through this. But so the summer after your senior year in high school, you had some concerns about going to San Antonio to Incarnate Word and, um, and playing volleyball. So what were some of your concerns that you had initially? Yeah, so I just graduated from high school. We were at training camp, so I was signed, committed, and everything for volleyball. And um, my team's group text was just going off about parties and, um, like, parties that everyone had to be there for team bonding. I'm kind of like, you know, I, I want to have friends, obviously, and am I going to have friends? Like, am I going to get in trouble if I'm not doing team bonding and all this stuff? And, like, you had to be there. Everyone's sending, you know, drinks and things that they need. Um, and I just couldn't hardly focus at training camp because this was going to be happening in the next couple of months. So I called Dave over, and I just said, like, what do I do? Like, what do I say to them? How do I get out of this? Like, I didn't know what to do. And um, he just said that, obviously, like, I've been called to go here. Like, I have a reason to be here. Um, I am one out of the, the 14 that were there that year. Like, I was the only one who was not going to be of that. So there were going to be questions. And um, I was called to be unashamed and to just go in, take my stand. And it's going to be the hardest at first, but it would only get easier from there. So, yeah. So then tell us how your, describe what your freshman year was like, that first exposure to all of that. Yeah, so um, before any of this started, we had kind of a agree-disagree, and I didn't even tell you about this. Um, but our coach would kind of say a statement, and everyone would either agree with the statement or disagree. And if you had opposing sides, you would kind of argue on it. Um, so she said, uh, drinking during season is okay if in moderation. So everyone went to the agree side, and I was the only one to go to the disagree side. And I was a freshman, so I kind of came in like, do I even have a say here, like a place? Like, how do I stand up to all of the seniors and the juniors, or six or seven of them? Um, and I just said that's not something I'm okay with. That's not pleasing to my faith. Um, and I don't think that putting that substance in my body during season is going to enhance my performance at all. And I kind of expect everyone to be like, like okay, whatever. <laughs> and instead, they actually um, gained respect for me. So that was just a huge answer to prayer, um, just high-fiving me, like, way to go, girl, like, you're right, whatever. Um, ever since then, I mean, they knew where I stood, um, but, you know, they would still invite me to parties, push me for it, come on, just one, it's not a big deal. Um, it was definitely the hardest at first, but I just said, you know, that's, that's not something I want to do. Um, but that whole first year, I was definitely more into the gentleness without defense category. I didn't really, like, I went to church every Sunday, but I didn't invite anyone. I didn't um, share verses, have any studies. I just kind of went and went on my own or went with my boyfriend. 
Um, but I didn't really invite anyone. My roommate was Catholic, so can't ask her kind of thing. Um, and uh, yeah, that was pretty much how the first year went. Kind of just did my own thing, stayed out of the bad things, and just built myself up, but I didn't do any community with others. So about a month ago, um, one of our leaders in here actually texted me and said, hey, I just want to encourage you um, about some things that have happened uh, as a result of um, Allison and her kind of, I guess, her sharing her faith in, with her team this semester and this year, um, I guess in the last few months. So, um, so share some of that now with, with all of us. Um, so after summer and I was going to go back to school, I, I kind of felt pushed by God, like, what did I do to benefit anyone else last year? Like, I hardly benefit myself if I don't do anything with anyone else. Um, so I just kind of started with little things. I started Sunday sending out texts, you know, hey, if anyone wants to come to church, and a couple times no one replied. And then um, a couple juniors started coming, um, several of them. Um, a senior specifically also came, and then um, a couple of my roommates would. Um, so I started having more of a group coming, sending little verses in the mornings, um, but the biggest thing that uh, came out of that was, so a lot of the girls on my team, like, said they were Christians, but they were very much in the partying, foul mouths, things like that. Um, but so that's kind of where the hardest part is, is they say they're Christians. So, you know, I'm a Christian too, you're a Christian, yeah, we're all Christians. Um, but one senior and two juniors um, just really, um, God just really revealed to them, like, what, what they were doing was wrong, and um, they kind of had a renewed just vision of their faith and uh, felt called to be baptized. So in uh, October, three, those three got baptized, and it was just amazing. But on top of that, one girl who really struggled the year before, during my freshman year, um, she came just to support the girls, and she accepted Christ. So that was just amazing. Um, the whole day was just, like, so happy. The entire um, team has just completely changed. I mean, just more respect for others. Um, she's had a total different light about her, all four of those girls. Way more girls are more encouraged to come to church. Um, it's just, it's really been amazing. And this was just a month or two ago, so it's still going up from here, but it's, it's been huge. Wow. Isn't that amazing? It's incredible. Um, I want to ask you, what, what advice would you give to anyone sitting here who's experiencing um, right now, what you experienced during your freshman year? Um, I kind of started out, like, so focused on the difference, and I was more timid and not just having fun and myself and having relationships with people. And I think the biggest thing was I came back in sophomore year, like, like who cares? What do I have to lose? And just way more just unashamed and was myself, still had the same humor, still, you know, went out to dinner with them and had fun. I just didn't partake in the things I wasn't okay with. Um, and by having those closer relationships and just no fear, um, that, that's what makes it easier. Um, in First Peter 4, when I was reading it, um, it says that above all, love others. And I felt that was very true, that if I have these relationships, it's much more easier to be open with them about what I believe. Um, they'll want to come hang out at church if that's what they wanted to do or whatever. Um, even specifically, my roommate struggles with anxiety. So she's just all the pressures on herself. And I'm just, I tell her, like, just pray, like, let it go. And it's so much easier. And um, she's been kind of doing that a lot more. So um, I just say, like, building uh, relationships, um, just, like, be yourself. Don't be afraid or anything. And um, just be unashamed. So, so I, wanna, I want you to stay up here for a minute. I'm going to pray for you here at the end. Um, 
But let's thank her for coming and sharing with us. It's incredible. When I heard the story, I was going to try to share some of that just as a story that I'm going to tell. And I, when I called her, I said, hey, I need to have you come and share this. So I appreciate her doing that. Um, but I want you to see this one last verse in verse 6 of this passage um, where Peter says, uh, For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. And this is not talking about, like, preaching to dead people, like physically dead people. Um, you can't really do that. I mean, I've, I've preached to some asleep people, but not any dead people. Um, but those who are dead is referring to Christians to whom the gospel was preached, but when they were alive, but now they're dead. And when you look at this whole text in its entirety, you see really a couple of themes. You see there are really two things that should dominate our thinking um, as you look at this section of First Peter. The first thing is judgment is coming. So um, if Allison had just gone in with these girls and was like, you know, wearing like billboards and sandwich boards saying like, repent, turn or burn, you know, um, judgment's coming. If that's all she said and focused on, um, I doubt you'd be hearing the story that you heard this morning. But because she actually just kind of heralded the gospel and, and sort of put that before them. Um, I think that's partly why you see the Holy Spirit working through what, what happened there. Um, so there's really two things. The judgment is coming, but so is salvation. And as you share your faith with people and you live as an alien and a stranger to the place that God's called you to be, um, yes, the reality is judgment is coming, but um, so is salvation, and God offers salvation to those um, that will respond in faith. And so that should be your prayer. That should be your hope. And I'll say this uh, just very quickly because I don't have much time for much else, but um, if you're someone that is a believer, you consider yourself a believer, but much like the girls on her team, um, they're like, yeah, yeah, I got Jesus. I've... That's what I call an ornamental Christian faith. Your faith is just an ornament off to the side, just kind of hanging there, and it's just, it's just there. But it's not central to who you are as a person. And so this morning, if, if, if what um, you've heard this morning, and you, and you call yourself a Christian, but you're also living um, what some might call the party lifestyle, and you're just, you're just living in idolatry and, and satisfying your own um, wants in whatever way you feel, led to do. I'm just going to be praying for repentance um, this morning, that um, as you think about the sacrifice that Christ made for you on the cross, you should think about that and think about the gospel, that, um, that you'd be overwhelmed in a new way with what he has done for you, and that you would desire him above all else. And instead of you just kind of blending in with the people that you're around, that you would be the witness. You would be the light um, in that place of darkness. That's my prayer for you this morning. Let's pray. God, we're grateful. Um, we're thankful for your gospel. We're grateful for um, Allison and, uh, and just the testimony that, that she has been able to share with us this morning. We thank you for um, the power of your spirit, the power of your gospel. God, we know that um, it is not us. We know it is you but we still rejoice in obedience. We still rejoice when you work in this way. 
And I uh, pray for the students in this room that, um, that you would convict all of us and show us, Father, um, just the majesty of the gospel and who you are. We would desire it more than anything else, Father. We pray this in your name. Amen. You guys have a few more questions at your tables. Go ahead and discuss this as we wrap up.